and we've been in a sermon series entitled The Life We Long For, which you give a warm welcome to our lead pastor Chris as he continues us in that series. Morning, Opus Storia. I'm so glad that we get to start our week off in worship, gathered around God's Word. And I'm particularly excited if you're joining us, friends, family, guests from far near. So glad because you're joining us in the middle of a sermon series that for me has personally been kind of at the center of a renewal I'm experiencing as we have been looking at the life of Jesus. Title of the series is called The Life That We Long For. And the idea of this series is the tension that we experience between the life that we're living versus the life that inwardly we long for. And that's imprinted on every human heart, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, we share the common experience that deep inside we know that life was meant to be lived at a higher plane, that there's something that we were created to reach for. And that answer for that tension is found in the life of Jesus. So we've been looking at Jesus's life and seeing how we can imitate his life in order for us to live the life that we long for. So I encourage you to go to our website, check out our previous sermons. Today, we're going to look at a crucial aspect of the life of Jesus, one of his most core practices and rhythms that if you and I seek to live the life that we long for, this is an absolute essential thing. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 verse 41 and onward and it says this, every year Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us this morning as we look to your life. Lord, we pray you'd give us revelation, open the eyes of our hearts Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus, reveal him in a powerful, transforming way to each and every one of us, wherever we're joining in. And may, Father, may our hearts grow in love, affection, and surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. You know, the passage that we just read is a fascinating passage in that there is quite a few years in the life of Jesus that we don't hear anything. Well, of course, we're introduced to the life of Jesus in the incarnation, and we celebrate that incredible act during the Christmas season. But after this amazing birth, and he comes into the world, God the Creator enters into his creation as a vulnerable baby. We don't hear much. 
there's kind of some silence. And then all of a sudden we hear about Jesus again, and he is 12 years old. And this is a story that we just read, and it's a story where his family was traveling down to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, and during this time they would travel in large groups, caravans, because it was the safest way to travel. On the road, you could be subject to all sorts of ills, people robbing, people pillaging, and so the best way to stay safe was to travel in a large group. After they went down to Jerusalem, they're heading back, and the group was so large that it was quite easy for a 12-year-old boy, 12-year-old Jesus, to get lost. And they realize he's lost after about a day, and then they travel back. So imagine the feeling in Mary's heart after being away from Jesus for four days, not knowing, is he okay? And then they find him in the temple, and they find him having a conversation with the scholars and the teachers about the word of God. And we read that they were astonished at his questions and the way he listened. And it's a fascinating moment, but I, I, I give all that context to focus on a key verse that I think is really interesting for us to stop and consider. It's verse 52. It says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This idea that Jesus grew up. We see him at this moment at the age of 12, and then fast forward, there's a period of silence again, and we don't hear about him until he's 30, when he begins his public ministry and begins to declare that he's the Messiah. And during that period of time that we don't hear much about his life, verse 52 kind of gives us a broad stroke summary of what happened during those 18 years. And succinctly, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom, so he grew intellectually, he grew in stature, he grew physically. He grew in favor with God and man. He grew in his relationship with the Father and in his relationship with others. And what is fascinating is because though on earth Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And that's the doctrine of the incarnation. And it's quite the amazing mystery how that all fleshes out, God being fully God and fully man, Jesus embodying both natures. But what's interesting is that as a fully human being, Jesus actually underwent seasons of growth. I have four kids and seeing them grow and seeing them grow in different seasons, a 12-year-old daughter, nine-year-old son, six-year-old son, one-year-old daughter, seeing how they grow, it's fascinating when I reflect on what the scriptures teach us that Jesus had these seasons of growth as a human being. So what did he do during these seasons of growth? Well, it, it, it would be important for us to figure out what was his growth process? What were the things that occupied his time, his focus? Because the things that Jesus repeatedly did were part of how he grew in his humanity. If we can unpack the habits of Jesus, the patterns, the way he lived, it gives us a clue as to how he grew up in all of these facets. And this passage gives us a powerful view into one of the things that Jesus repeatedly did. And we see him doing this even at the age of 12. And these 18 years before he began his public ministry, we can assume that he did this ongoingly. Because when he does his public ministry, we see that he continues to do this thing that we're talking about, and that is that Jesus studied, 
memorized, applied, prayed the scriptures. A core practice, something that Jesus repeatedly gravitated toward, was this deep integration with the scriptures. In fact, one of the, the, the marks of Jesus' ministry, if you read through the Gospels, there's, a, there's certain things that he does quite a bit. We talked last week how you could see this pattern of prayer. Jesus was constantly kind of going from busy ministry activity to retreating to a place of prayer. It was this rhythm. that It didn't matter how busy he was, he would get up early in the morning. He would often go to a solitary place to pray. Uh, intimacy with God was at the core of his life, and that was a repeated thing. But the other thing, if we take note of his life in the Gospels, we'll see Jesus doing this over and over and over again, so much so that we could almost miss, if we're not careful, that he's doing this over and over and over again, and, and that the Son of God is doing this very practice, and that is that Jesus quoted Scripture often. He was constantly quoting Scripture. In fact, Jesus quoted the Old Testament, 78 times. And these quotes span from the books of Genesis all the way to the prophet Malachi. And in fact, not only did he quote the scriptures often in discourses and conversations when he was clarifying things and teaching things and explaining whether it was to big crowds or to his disciples or whether religious leaders were coming to combat him and argue with him, he was always quoting the scriptures. But another thing that Jesus regularly did was he read the scriptures, and he would read them in a public setting. In fact, Luke chapter 4, verse 14, tells us that after Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the enemy, when he comes out of that, look at what he does. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Jesus had this custom of going into the synagogue to read the scriptures, and on this day, we read that he goes to the synagogue, and he stands up and grabs the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, the very portion of Isaiah that declares about the anointed Messiah, the, the God servant, the God man that would come and be anointed and would bring liberty to the captives. It's a powerful moment in the life of Jesus. But before he gets up and takes the scroll, as was his custom to go to the synagogue and to read the scriptures, we read that something else was happening in the beginning of that chapter. In fact, we read that Jesus went into the wilderness and he was in this solitary place, just him and the Father, but we read that in this space, he experienced temptation. That the enemy came and tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights, which points to so many incredible moments in the life of the people of Israel, in particular their 40 years of testing in the wilderness. And it speaks, it has so much biblical typology. But as we read, Jesus does something very interesting while he's being tempted. Look at what it says. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 and onward. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 
He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. What I find fascinating about this moment of temptation, as the temptations were being hurled at Jesus, every response that Jesus had to these temptations was a response of Scripture. And in particular, every Scripture Jesus responded back to the enemy were all from the book of Deuteronomy. And so, in essence, Jesus, in his studying, in his applying, in his discussing of Scripture, he not only stopped there, he actually integrated scripture into his prayer and into the act of spiritual warfare. As he was resisting temptation and the enemy's attempt to thwart his mission, his resource, his defense, his power, his weapon was the scriptures. And so Jesus simply copied and repeated these verses back to the enemy during his temptation. I want us to pause just here for a moment, and I want you to reflect, perhaps if you have your Bible on hand, if you don't, you can run and get it, because here's what I want you to do as we pause, and we're going to put a timer on the screen. I want you to grab hold of a scripture that you have often quoted during times of testing, that you have uttered in your prayers, a scripture that's anchored you during difficult seasons. I want you to grab hold of the, those verses. And over the next two minutes, I want you to pause and pray. Speak those scriptures over your life. Speak them. Declare them. Stand on them. Resist lies that are coming your way from the enemy. Let's do as Jesus did. Let's apply scripture to the fullness of our life.
Welcome back. Yeah, as we've been in this series, the invitation has been of one from going from belief in Jesus to imitating Jesus. And there's a big gap in between just simply believing in who Jesus is, believing in what he said versus imitating the way he lived, copying his life, mirroring his habits, his rhythms. And that's what we're seeking to prayerfully do. And some of the things that we've looked at, we've looked at imitating Jesus in the way he lived an unhurried life, in the way he prayed. And today we're looking at his consistent focus on the scriptures. See, I find this interesting for us to process, especially in a city like ours, because I feel that Jesus is often celebrated, but not truly recognized for who he is. And what I mean by that is that by non-Christians, and perhaps you're not a Christian hearing this, often Jesus is celebrated as a model human being, someone that we should strive to look for, to be tolerant and loving and gracious as he is, all things that we should do. But often secular society says we should imitate Jesus without believing in who he is and what he said. But I think Christians, we go on the other extreme. We believe in who Jesus is and we believe in what he said, but we often don't imitate how he lived. We don't mirror our lives after his rhythms, his priorities, the patterns of life. And in this crucial moment, if you and I are seeking to live the life we long for, and if we're truly intent on imitating the life of Jesus, this is the most crucial thing that we need to integrate into our life. If you and I want to be like Jesus, then we need to be people of the word, people who eat scripture, people who meditate on the word of God, people who sing the scriptures, People who gather with others to celebrate the scriptures, to learn the word of God, to teach others. People who are constantly returning to the truths of God's word. When we stray, when we fall, when we mess up, we don't veer further away. We come back to the gracious arms of our God so that scripture could form us again and again and again. See, the life that we long for is only possible through that intentional, consistent study, memorization, discussion, application of the scriptures, just like Jesus. You see, but the centrality of the word of God wasn't just specific to the life of Jesus. Actually, the scriptures have always been central for the church. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 42, speaking of the first followers of Jesus, it says this was part of their rhythm and their life. Those who accepted his message, this is Peter's message, uh, a message of repentance. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so one of the core rhythms of the first followers of Jesus was this consistent devotion to the word of God. The apostles' teaching was in essence them expounding on the scriptures, teaching who Jesus is from the old covenant scriptures, and applying the gospel to their lives through this consistent repetition and gathering and centering around the word of God. If you're intent to be a follower of Jesus, to imitate his life, there is no way 
apart from that path. You know, I've done the road trip from New York to Florida quite a few times. We have a big family, and in order to save money when we've gone down to Florida, we've chosen the very torturous experience of driving. Now, my kids are pretty good uh, in, all, in all actuality, but it's just a long drive. And there's a part of the drive where it just seems like the road just doesn't end. And I, and I kind of daydream of those moments like, man, who kept coming down here? Who kept building road? Who, who thought this was a good idea to build a road that went all down the northeast and could connect someone from New York all the way to Florida? And man, despite how long it is, at the end of the day, if you're intent on getting there, you just have to go through it. There's no shortcut around it. You have to travel that road. And if you and I are intentional about imitating the life of Jesus, about being like Jesus, you have to go down this path to be a person of the word, to be someone who is deeply integrating the scriptures, to be a student of the word. I know those words, uh, that word student can be intimidating for some. And so maybe you didn't like school. And so the idea of studying and having that as a part of your life is like, ah, I don't know about that. Or the, the idea of student feels so formulaic. And meanwhile, you just want to have this organic kind of relationship with Jesus and just let it be free and, and wherever the wind blows kind of vibe. But the truth is, for you and I to have a relationship with God, the scriptures are indispensable. Because the scriptures are what teach us how to have a relationship with God. They reveal his character, his essence. And so... If you want to sit down with God and have a conversation with him and have a relationship with him and have a journey with him in all of your life, the key thing you and I are going to need is to know who he is, to know his ways, to understand his mind. And what provides us that window of insight and knowledge is the scriptures. When we open up the scriptures, we are opening up the heart of God his character. We're pulling back the curtain and we're seeing him for who he truly is. And what I've discovered is much like a deep relationship, whether it's with a spouse or a parent or a lifelong friend, the more you spend time with them, the more you come to really know who they are. The layers, the complexities, the nuance. You're, there's a, con a, a continuous surprise as you find out who this person truly is over the years. Every time you open the scriptures, there's a surprise. There's a, a reinforcement. There's a new insight into who God is as he reveals himself. And all of that is crucial and essential if we're going to walk with him, but also if we're going to imitate him. The scriptures are our playbook. They give us the instructions on how you and I could embody Jesus' life, his teaching, his mission. And in order to do so, we have to be people of the word. I remember hearing someone say, as a follower of Jesus, you should be so full of scripture that if someone cut you, you would bleed verses. That the word of God is so in you that it just pours out of you. If we're going to imitate the life of Jesus, we need to be people of the word in that capacity. 
But I'll tell you something else that's exciting about the scriptures. Whenever you and I open the scriptures, we open up our hearts for God to breathe his life into us. You know, the scriptures are the oldest book whose author is still alive. When you and I read the scriptures, we're not reading about a dead God, about some dead philosopher or moral example whom we could go visit their tomb on a religious pilgrimage. If you go to the tomb, it's empty. Our God has risen. And when we read the scriptures, he is alive with us as we read, revealing himself, breathing his life into us. Reading the scriptures is the most riveting thing that we can do as followers of Jesus because when we open the pages of God's word, he's there with us, revealing himself, confirming its truths, burning the reality of the scriptures inside our hearts. Look at what 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says about all the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's powerful what Paul is saying to his disciple Timothy, saying that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. And so when you read the scriptures, you're accessing God's breath, his life. And when you access his breath and life, look at what it says, the scriptures are useful for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. The scriptures provide all of these essential ingredients for people who want to imitate the life of Jesus. If you and I want to imitate the life of Jesus, we will need to be taught how to live as he lived. We will also need to be rebuked. We'll need some sharp correction at times. We'll need some instruction on how to center ourselves back when we veer off. God will have to lovingly correct us along the pathway. But also we'll need to be trained. The scriptures are a training manual that God has breathed in order for us to live as his son lived. But furthermore, it's saying that through the scriptures, we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that idea of being equipped. It's this idea of get being receiving the resources that you need, components being added to you, tools being added to you that allow you to effectively accomplish the task before you. That's what the scriptures do. Did you, did you realize that in your house, wherever you have your Bible, whether it's on your phone or you have a physical Bible, when you open the scriptures, all of this awaits us. No wonder Jesus was so engrossed in Scripture. No wonder he read it regularly. No wonder he integrated it into his prayer. No wonder it was his defense against temptation. No wonder he discussed it so much and answered questions and reflected on it. Because the Scriptures provide so much. If this is the invitation that we're receiving from God, there's some steps we have to take. If you and I are intentional to be like Jesus, there's some steps that we're going to have to consider and plan out. And so I want to ask you a few questions and guide you towards some potential next steps. In order to be like Jesus, we need to be people of the word. And if that's the case, then I want to ask you, quite frankly, what is your plan 
to study the scriptures. There needs to be a plan. There needs to be some structure, some intentionality. The scriptures won't study themselves. We need to study them. We need to have a plan. And I want to direct you to our website because there's a link called resources on our homepage that perhaps some of us have not accessed. But I want to encourage you to go there because when you hit that link, there's actually some resources along the theme of Bible study. And in there, there's some great tools and, and resources that we point you toward. Books and commentaries and tools that help you to study the scriptures with intentionality. If you don't have a plan, I encourage you, go there. Incorporate that. Begin there. Let that form your plan. The other thing I want to ask is, how can you incorporate, if you want to be like Jesus, we have to learn how to incorporate the scriptures into our prayer life. And so, toward that end, how can you incorporate the scriptures into your prayer life? Well, if you pay uh, attention to our newsletter and to all of the events that come your way, we're quite regularly creating space for prayer. Whether it's been Friday night intercession during this whole pandemic season, we did an entire week of, of prayer during Holy Week. Uh, we, we're just finishing a, a week of prayer uh, while we're in this series, and that will be ongoing. And when we return to in-person gatherings, we will be intentional to create spaces for prayer, as we always have as a church. I want to encourage you to access those resources. When they become available, jump on them. Clear your schedule. Because those resources, those events, those spaces to pray will help you to incorporate the scriptures into your prayer life in a very concrete way. The other thing I want to encourage you, uh, if you consider being intentional about having the word of God central to your life as it was to Jesus, is how can you study and pray the scriptures with others? And so with that end, you've heard me week after week encourage every single one of us to join a small group. And if you have not done so yet, I implore you to do so, even if it's just for the sake of being with others as we pray and study the scriptures. Small groups provide so much more relational connection, spiritual friendship. But one of the things that they help to spur us on is bringing us to a place of consistent reflection on the scriptures, praying through the scriptures, understanding them, applying them. The good news is, if you're feeling overwhelmed or feeling like this is way more than your ability to handle on your own, the good news is you don't have to handle on your own. In fact, these, these disciplines that we're talking about, these patterns, these rhythms that we see in the life of Jesus, whether it's prayer or studying scripture, they are best applied in community. Go to our website and visit the Connect tab. Join a small group. Be a part of a smaller community that is intentionally praying and gathering their life around the scriptures. I want to mention one other resource. Please pay attention. If I have your attention up to this, this point, thank you. This next resource is hot off the press, and I really want to encourage you to join in. And so, it's an opportunity to learn from an actual biblical scholar. A good friend of mine, Brandon O'Brien, he has a PhD. He's written incredible books on studying the scriptures. One uh, seminal work that he did was reading the scripture, misreading the scriptures through Western eyes. Incredible thinker and teacher. He's actually going to be with our church two Wednesdays in a row from 7 to 8.30. The dates are Wednesday, June 9th, 
and Wednesday, June 16th. And it's going to be a two-part series. The first one is reading the scriptures. And, and in that, you're going to receive tools that will help you to interpret and apply, and apply the scriptures. And the second one is actually how do we read ourselves through the scriptures. He's an incredible teacher, very engaging, and he seeks to give tools to people to, for us to be able to open the word of God on our own with confidence and joy. As we close, I want to reflect on a passage of scripture that, for the sake of time, I won't read because it's quite long, but I want to encourage you to read it this week. And that is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. Why well, I want to end there is because I realize when we talk about the scriptures, for some of us, it's not for a lack of motivation or desire. But yet, if we're honest, we struggle. We struggle to integrate the scriptures into our lives in a consistent manner. We struggle to engage the scriptures, to apply them. And so often, moments like this can be filled with a mixture of inspiration and guilt. I want to push past the guilt and anchor us in this powerful truth that we see in Luke's gospel, the 15th chapter. When the prodigal son came, after a period of time where he was utterly disrespectful to his father, when he asked for his inheritance while his father was still alive, he essentially was telling his father, I would prefer you to be dead. i rather the things I can get from you than your actual life. And then he lived a very wasteful life. He was with prostitutes and spending his money, all the inheritance. And at the end of his life, he's, at the end of the season, he's found eating food with pigs. Could you imagine how scandalous this was to Jewish people at that time? This story of a son that would be so disrespectful and to find himself in such utter dis disrepair at that time. But we read that he wakes up one moment and realizes that even the lowest servant in his father's house was living better than he was. And he prepares, has this big speech and says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to beg him to take me back. And we read this amazing moment as he approaches the father's house. The father who represents God the father didn't even let him get into his big speech. He just runs to him. He embraces him. And he, and he fully clothes him as, as a son. He takes off his dirty robes and he puts a robe on him, restores his position as a beloved son in the house. And why I want to end there is because you and I, when we approach the scriptures and we seek to integrate them into our life, I think it's important to remind ourselves that we don't do this in order for God to love us. Because the God we're seeking to know is a God who says, I will love you at your lowest moments. When you're messed up, when you're broken, when you stray, you can be confident that when you come home, I'm there not with judgment, I'm there with open arms. And so regardless of where you're at, if you're feeling some shame, if you're feeling some regret, maybe you've tried to integrate the scriptures and it's been stop and go, I want to recenter us and ground us in this. We are beloved 
by God through what Jesus has done. We are accepted by God because of the perfect obedience of Jesus that has been imputed to us. And now as we seek to know this God and integrate the scriptures in our life, we don't seek to do so to gain his approval. We do it from a place of already being approved. I don't know about you, but a God who would love me the way God loves us is a God worth knowing, a God worth seeking out and studying him so that we might know him even more. I want to invite us to pray as we close. I encourage you, sign up for the class with Brandon O'Brien. Go to our website, check out those resources, join a small group. Because if we want to be like Jesus, imitate his life and live the life we long for, it's only through the pathway of the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your word together with your people. And I pray, Lord, that as we take these steps, as we evaluate where we're at and our need for an intentional plan, Lord, intentional steps to integrate the scriptures, would you meet us? every step of the way. And Lord, would you undergird our efforts with a constant reminder that we are not saved by our efforts. We don't strive. We don't earn, Lord. But as we apply our discipline to this, we do so from a place of being loved and accepted and embraced. So Lord, make us a people of the word like never before so that we might imitate you. In Jesus' name, amen.